For many people, their phone is all they need to tell time. Houdinki is not one of those people. Houdinki has built a media brand around those passionate about watches. It all started as a Tumblr page created by a Wall Street worker. Ben Clymer went on to build Houdinki into a leading source of content related to watches, even helping Jay-Z along the way find the right watch for a performance at Carnegie Hall. I'm Brian Marcy, and this is the Digiday Podcast. In this episode, Ben and I talk about the power of serving a specific passion like watches, the ways Houdinki makes money beyond ads, and why celebrities like John Mayer, Johnny Ive, and Ralph Lauren like to talk about their watch collections. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, sir. So for those who are not orologists, um, explain <laughs> explain Houdinki. So Houdinki is, it's actually kind of difficult to explain because we, we began as a blog and it was really a personal blog written by by myself uh, about watches and, and the love of watches, not very technical, kind of more kind of like uh, society focused and popular culture focused. So, hey, what watch did Paul Newman wear? What watch did Steve McQueen wear? What watch does Michael Jordan wear to the NBA finals? Things like that. Uh, and it began really just out of a love for, for the, these mechanical objects, a love to write and a, kind of a love for the internet uh, that quickly evolved into a, a much more robust I would say digital magazine although I think that that term is, is a little wishy-washy um, but we started doing really in-depth original features that included original videography original photography mm-hmm. um, and then you know real you know strong writing you know it wasn't just like hey here's a cool thing and let's reblog it it was original storytelling uh, so that began in about uh, 2010 or so at the time I was a graduate student uh, in journalism here in New York and that's when I started to realize that, that this thing could have legs uh, and and in journalism school, a lot of my professors were really curious, you know, how I could, for example, pay my rent uh, in Soho based on this blog about watches. Uh, and I could. Uh, and not only that, I could I could afford an occasional watch every now and then. Uh, and what I realized is we had hit on something that, that hadn't really been touched before, and that is uh, an approachable vehicle to, to explain this world of, of high luxury to, to men. And that that's something that I don't think we talk about enough is that, you know, we are among the only digital publications that focus on on men. Uh, in, in the luxury space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's, that's fairly unique. Um, and then, you know, after, after the, the kind of digital magazine really kind of, you know, solidified itself, time named as one of the 50 best websites in the world, things like that. Uh, we then launched an e-commerce uh, platform, which was Shopify based. It was something that, that I'd always wanted to do. This was 2012. We uh, designed some straps for vintage Rolexes and vintage Omegas, things like that, with with a partner in Italy. Threw them up there, and then all the usual suspects, GQ, Esquire, Hypebeast, etc., started started writing about them, and we sold out instantly. I mean, really within a few hours. And then all of a sudden, the the, the strap business and the, the accessory business really started to explode. We started doing other collaborations with with kind of men's wary companies, so Drakes of London. We did some ties and pocket squares. We've done sunglasses, and then you know eventually we ended up doing uh, limited edition watches, where we would collaborate with great you know high end manufacturers, Tag Heuer, mm-hmm. things like that, um, to design products that said Hodinkee on the back. And so it was sold exclusively through us. We would take a wholesale margin, just like any other retailer. Uh, and what the benefit for us was extending our brand and extending our aesthetic in into the, these wonderful old legacy brands, and their benefit was was the cool factor, and was the the hype that, that kind of came with with working with us was was significant. You know, mm-hmm. in, in the in the media world, certainly in in most major English speaking markets, Hodinkee is watches, uh, and certainly is is the younger generation. Was of this watches. just not being covered enough? So it, it or it, just it was fragmented. It was it was fragmented, and, the, and there are there are still several watch publications out there, but they were really dictated by the trade. And what I mean by that is, when I began this thing, I didn't know what a publicist was, I didn't know what a market 
marketing person was. I didn't know anything about the, the media kind of uh, relationship with, with industry. Uh, and it turns out that was the, the greatest thing that ever happened to me because had I, I would have reached out to these PR people and said, hey, what do you what do you want me to cover? And that's ultimately what differentiated us is I was writing about the stuff that I was interested in, which there was no marketing. As someone mind. who was into watching. Yeah, as, as an enthusiast. Uh, and then everybody else, Watch Time Revolution, these are big you know, magazines that, that are still around. They were writing about exactly what the publicists wanted you, wanted them to write about. Mm-hmm. And it was also, you know, I was 25 at the time. I'm from Rochester, New York, very kind of humble upbringings. Uh, and everybody else in this in this world was either the son of a, a diplomat or something like they had that. Vaughn in yeah, their name, right? That's exactly right. It's usually a tell. Uh, and you know, it was it was really champagne and caviar world, which which is not me still. You know, it's really it it, it felt un, not uncomfortable for me, but it, it certainly wasn't me. And so I said, look, guys, like you know, you can appreciate watches just like I do in a way that that has nothing to do with the cost, has nothing to do with you know a pissing contest with your friend or your your you know co analyst at Morgan Stanley or whatever it is. Um, it, it has to do with the appreciation of these things and the storytelling. Uh, and so because I was not a 65-year-old white millionaire, I happen to be white, but I wasn't a millionaire and I wasn't 65, uh, we had a totally different voice. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was just a, a totally fresh take on on watches at the time and now, you know, more broadly into all kind of like luxury things. So when did you know that it could be a business um, or did you always look at building this into never to be honest with you the first two or three years i never thought this would be a business i thought it was a vehicle for me to i thought it was a jumping off point to get into media and i wanted to after ubs you wanted to get into media i did i did i want to i want to be a writer Okay. Uh, you know, a, a full-on journalist, um, you know, in, in kind of a fun lifestyle way, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, human interest stories, things like that. Uh, so I started writing for Hodinkee, obviously, and then GQ, the Financial Times, and then I applied to journalism school and somehow got on, got in, you know, basically because of Hodinkee and a few freelance jobs. And at, at that point, I thought I would end up leaving school with a job at Forbes or at Bloomberg or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I've been offered jo- those jobs before and I had turned them down because I wasn't, I didn't think I was there yet. Uh, and then Hodinkee in like between well, really while I was in journalism school, 2010 to 2012, um, it really started to take off and people said, Hey, like, you know, <laughs> so you were in journalism school is taking yeah. off. You should have been probably teaching there. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, you decided to turn it into business, but it sounds like it's, it's a media brand, but it sounds like you're thinking about it as a brand that, that does media. And I, I think that's a little bit different. I, I think that's exactly it. We certainly started out as a media brand, but I mean, right now we sell 25,000 straps a year that say Hodinkee on them. We sell a few thousand watches per year that say Hodinkee on them. Uh, so we, we view Hodinkee as, as, a, as a real brand, as a physical Consumer brand. brand. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's a brand that, that, you know, again, we sell, we sell NATO straps that are you know, fourteen dollars, and they say Hodinky on them. We also sell sixty thousand dollar watches that also say Hodinky on them. So we are not so much focused on the cost or who our client is, but really, at least from a financial perspective, more on um, a knowledge credential and, and an interest credential. And this is something that that I've always kind of been fascinated by is where you can really become part of this very, very esoteric, very kind of walled off world uh, that in many cases revolves around money if you have knowledge. And I think that's what Hodinkee has provided a new generation of, of people or, or a subset of the generation of people where it's just like we're giving you the knowledge where you can walk into a room and talk to the most astute collectors in the world about watches and you don't have to own the $2 million watch or the $500,000 watch. If you have this knowledge, then you're part of this this group. So is this for rich young men or is this aspirational too? It's, I mean, because... I don't know. The, it seems to me like luxury is interesting now in that um, it was always very exclusive mm-hmm. and and now um, it's becoming a lot more accessible, yeah. but also just accessible in a way of of complete aspiration. Right. 
Yeah, it's all of the above. You know, I mean, I would be I would be lying, and I think you'd know that I'd be lying if I, if I didn't say we need the, the wealthy folks yes, to, to keep you this need thing rich going. People. We do. I mean, look, we're we're selling expensive things that are totally superfluous in, in every way. So we need people to kind of to, to buy those things to keep the lights on. But ultimately, we create our content, we create our brand for for everybody. And you know, as I said, we've done last year, for example, we did a sixty five thousand dollar watch co-branded with us and then we did a $150 watch co-branded with us and so you know we we try to do a little bit of something for everyone and we try to to really not divide the way that we that we speak to these people so for selling a swatch which we did last year in December for $150 we we communicate around it and we and we package it the same way that we do a $60,000 Vacheron or something like that Uh, and I think that that's what's kind of the most fun thing about Hodinkee is that we bring people together kind of irrespective of, of their financial background. So, of course, I mean, you know, the, the wealthier people that can afford all this stuff every day are important. But ultimately, you know, our power and, and our voice comes from everybody. And, you know, we've had, we did, this is crazy, we did a watch strap made out of Russian reindeer leather that sunk on a ship in 1786, and I'm not kidding. Uh, and it was a $500 watch strap. And then we, we did an event, and we met a young person who put that watch on his Timex that was about, I think, $75. And so he's got a $500 strap on a $75 watch, and he was 16 years old. And I just was so amazed by him. And he just said, I wanted to own a piece of, of kind of the Houdinki world uh, and something special. So the, the watch costs literally five times what, what I'm sorry, the strap costs five times what his watch did. Uh, and I think that says a lot about who mm-hmm. our, our audience is. They what care what are the, the demographics of the audience? So it's 90% men. Um, and it is uh, young and wealthy, effectively. So it's like the average age is around 35 to 38 years old, household income well above 250, master's degrees, you know, professional settings, uh, large, or popular in, in large, you know, m- metropolitan cities. Okay, so it's not like, uh, you know, teenagers are here, uh, hip-hop people talking about their Rolly hitting their watch. Certainly not. Uh, okay. it, it's, we're kind of the antithesis of that, or, or we try to be okay. anyway, you know. So, so how elastic can the brand be? Because it, it seems like you're... You're pushing out um, beyond watches, oh, but yeah. watches are the core. And we, we've seen this a lot with streetwear. Mm-hmm. You know, they started um, as sneaker blogs for the most part, and then uh, they started to encompass a lifestyle. So what's the Houdinki lifestyle? Yeah, the Houdinki lifestyle is, is is thoughtful, handmade products, things things built to last. So it doesn't necessarily have to mean expensive, but, you know, in the same way that, you know, I'm wearing a Patek Philippe today that was built in 1960. It keeps just as good time as it did then as it does now uh, and I think the idea of quality made products that that are, are slightly off the beaten path so like a camera's vintage Porsches instead of modern Porsches things like that that, that really kind of have a design ethos that that is is not trend specific at all uh, so kind of the the anti-hype beast model and I love those guys but very different thing um, the the anti-hype beast model in the sense that this is not about hype at all this is about lasting design you know this is about something that that will look great years down the road and so that could this is mean, not the drop crowd no 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 uh, although I mean we, we we do benefit from some of the same hype you know when we sure. do a limited edition sometimes we'll tease it and then you know that uh, the moment that we drop it like there'll be you know 10,000 people on the website just ready to, to click buy right away uh, so we we do benefit from that and but I think that's just a product of being around in 2018 I mean this is how, how brands are, are operating today so it seems I mean in these kind of lifestyle areas the the brand the advertising and the content like merge I mean because the, the the content is really you know I'm sure that the watch people look at it as as advertising for their products right well so how do you maintain and there's there's everyone's got the junkets to yeah. Geneva and to Tokyo of and course. to Saint-Tropez and all these like amazing places sure. um, how do you maintain I mean you went to J school how do you maintain some kind of distance from it mm-hmm. but at the same time that's the game yeah I mean I, I think ultimately is is we look at at what we cover in the same way that like you know an editor at Vogue would look at what they cover in Vogue we don't cover anything to pan it we don't want 
we don't want this to be negative in any way. And so watches, as I've said, which are completely unnecessary in every way, and I'm the first person to admit that, we want this to be fun. And so we, we basically just ignore the watches that, that are not worth covering. We look at the, the pieces that, that don't have any real intrinsic value or, or lasting design and say, that's not for us. So we don't cover that. So then we're, we're effectively covering things that we know that we will like. Uh, and that's not to say we haven't published negative reviews. We have. And in fact, one, one story that, that, that happened or that we published about two months ago ended up in, in a watch being recalled completely. Uh, somebody took a dive watch diving and water got into it, which is ultimately a problem. Um, and we published that and we said it, and these guys are advertisers, they're commercial partners. And, and we said, Hey, you know, we, we have to do this and we published it and they were really upset, but, but say la vie. Uh, and I, I think, you know, we have taken a very different approach than most luxury media publications. And I know, you know, the niche medias and, and du jour and all these hyperlux publications where we're advertising and editorial are one and the same. And we are not that at all. I mean, we, we have always covered things that we want to cover regardless of, of, mm-hmm. of any ad, ad, um, advertising spend. That's not to say we don't have partners. Of course we do. You know, we, we need to pay the bills just like you guys do or just like anybody else does. Uh, so we, we try to kind of keep it, you know, as straight and narrow as possible. Our, our advertising team, of course, is in the same office as our editorial team, but have very little interaction. And, and we basically just sell against who, the Hodinkee brand, not really against any editorial mm-hmm. specifically. Quick break to tell you about Digiday Plus. Each week, I invariably talk to publishers about how they're diversifying their businesses and often adding in membership programs. Well, we're no different. Digiday Plus is our premium membership program for people in media, marketing, tech, even investors, in order to get a leg up. Here's how they do it. Digiday Plus members get access to exclusive content. Each day, we have pieces only available for them, along with invites to our member events, early access to this podcast and our top story of the day, exclusive research we do on top industry trends, and much more. Please visit digiday.com, and you'll see the Plus tab at the top of the page. Digiday Plus membership is $395 a year, but if you use the code PODCAST at checkout, you'll get 20% off. Please do check it out. I promise it's worth it. Now back to the episode. So you're about 30 people now, Correct. right? Yep. Um, and originally it was bootstrapped, but then you took on investment. Why mm-hmm. Why the investment? Yeah, so I, I was anti-venture capital for a long, long time. Uh, Everyone's anti it until in, they take until it. Until they take it, yeah. <laughs> and, until they buy their Ferrari or something. <laughs> um, you know, I know your investors will be mad if, yeah, you, if exactly. you use it for the Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I was anti-venture capital because I, I, I didn't want to build a big business, if that makes any sense. I wanted to build a, a wonderful business for me. I wanted to build a business where I could pay my employees good salaries, give them bonuses when we got a good deal, me have a, have a, a relaxed, nice lifestyle. Uh, and then in 2014, um, as, I, as I've said recently on our own podcast, we were approached by a large media company whose name's on the wall there. Uh, and I think I know which one. It yeah. Is and, uh, and they said, hey, you know, you've got something great. Like you've got something that, that could really help us because the watch category to this day is a, I mean, is one of the largest uh, mm-hmm. advertising categories for, for Hearst, Condé Nast, all the time. The New York Times, the New York Times, it is, I think, among, I think it's right after auto. I mean, it is a huge category. And this is watches, which nobody thinks about at all. And we're the guys in watches. So it really made sense for, for them. And we were going to come in and, and be under one of their luxury you know, publications and, and be kind of a sub-brand. Um, and we went down that road and at, at kind of at, at, the, at the final hour with some some prodding from some friends, uh, Tony Fidel, who sold, created Nast and sold that to Google, uh, and Kevin Rose, who's the, the dig guy. Uh, they were friends at the time that said, hey, like, you know, we could do this together. And like, you know, th- yes, it is mm-hmm. venture capital. And yes, it'd be a fundraise, but it's a very different kind of fundraise. It's not like I'm going out pitching people. It's like, let's do this right. together. 
So we we did that deal um, where you know we effectively merged with Kevin Rose's inc- uh, app incubator North. Uh, we did a small raise of about three and a half million dollars. I took you know a tiny little bit of money off the table for for the past you know seven years that I've been working on it, and then we went off to the races. Uh, and that was three years ago. Uh, based on the success we saw in those three years, we did another raise last year of about five million dollars. Uh, and, and life has been good. And, you know, again, our, our venture partners are, you know, Kevin is a, is a partner, uh, Tony Fidel, Tony Conrad, Jason for you to start Basecamp, John Mayer, who's uh, an active contributor. Um, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's a wonderful list of people that are just fans. And, and I think that that's the difference, difference in, in what we're doing here is that our investors are fans. So what's the, what's the business model? I mean, the business model, obviously everyone's got a different portfolio. I yep. talked to them on this, on this podcast and lifestyles very different from from hard news obviously for sure gives you a lot of different opportunities to do things like you're doing with actually selling products what's the breakdown between like ads and commerce so as, from 2017 it was 65% commerce 35% ads um, so to, to make that flip, uh, I, was, I was recently speaking with, um, with somebody from, from Hearst about this, to, to make the flip from doing 100% ads into having the majority be in commerce is, is, is very difficult. It's easier for us because we're a smaller company. Uh, you know, we've got a limited number of, of potential advertisers. It's basically all luxury brands, uh, certainly with a focus on, on watch brands. Um, but yeah, we're about 65% commerce, 35% uh, advertising. And it, it's, it's a nice split, and I think we'll, we'll probably see a bigger percentage move towards, uh, towards commerce over the next few years. As we mm-hmm. expand our offerings there, and that's okay. But I mean, but will that change as your your focus broadens? It seems pretty clear your focus is going to broaden beyond watches. It might like stay watches as the core, but mm-hmm. you'll be doing a lot more on on cars and. Well, ed- editorially, we probably won't be. Uh, you know, the the only place where where we have any plans to cover things outside of watches is, is in print, uh, and so we do two really? print magazines per year uh, online. Excuse me. We we are a watch publication, and and we've kind of maintained that from the beginning, and and so online there, mm-hmm. there will I don't as far as I know there will no be no other content. Talk about that like about maintaining focus, but at the same time there's a lot of opportunities because I'm sure you saw that with with you know particularly when talking with investors and sure. stuff like this they see things they're like no you could do this you could do that of course and um you're like no but you know it's it's about watches yeah i mean it, it's very tempting you know financially and and for your own vanity to kind of say oh i could i could i could do this again in cars i could yeah, do this yeah, yeah. again in architecture whatever you know uh, and again i think we have such a wonderful opportunity still ahead of us in watches. This is a huge segment. I mean, this is a $20 billion a year industry. Uh, and we're still, we're a, we're a very influential player in this, but we're not making that, that kind of money, I can tell you that. You know, there's a still huge opportunity to, to really own watches. And we have such a stranglehold on it now. To me, it would be foolish to take our foot off the gas and say, oh, let's go into cars. Let's go into design or something like that. So with print, which is a much different medium, obviously, and, and our, our print property is, is, is really a different brand than than our, our mm-hmm. online property, we allow our writers that are interested in them uh, in it to to cover other things. And I've written car stories. I did an interview with Johnny Ive in the last issue, um, and it, it allows our guys to remain creative and do fun stuff. It also allows people to come into our world in a, in a different way. Uh, but in in the online world, it, it's it's all watches all the time. So why print? What 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 a purpose does it serve? Other That's than fun. it's nice to make yeah. a print publication. Yeah, you know, I mean, as as a as a journalism student and as somebody that has been an, a, a fan of media in general, I mean, print is something. Stephen, who was our first employee, and I have always wanted to do, and it was just a matter of finding the right partners, the right, and you make sure we have the resources, the time, the the access to the folks that we wanted to cover, 
Uh, and then it, it just made sense as a way to bring people into our world. You know, Hodinki mm-hmm. is still a young brand and it's still most people that even like watches. You know, there are many people out there that wear an expensive watch that don't know who we are. And so this platform or the, the, the physical platform is a way to get people into our world. So we produce this incredibly high quality, incredibly, honestly, expensive uh, magazine to produce. And we put it in locations that we thought would uh, would bring people into our world. So, for example, if you go to any of the 13 Amex Centurion lounges around the world, you'll, you'll see the Hodinki magazine. If you go to Soho House and stay in one of the rooms, you'll see the Hodinki magazine, Intercontinental, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so places like that, we we they buy them or we give them um, you know some 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 copies just to put in front of people. And we we view it as the best way to introduce new people into into the Hodinki world. One interesting thing is is the celebrity overlay because you get for a niche brand you you get access to a, a lot of um, well known people. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 been shocking, <laughs> totally surprising. Really, that was never the intention, and it's it's always been very. Organic. I feel like celebrities like to talk about things that they're passionate about, but that most people don't ask them about. That that's exactly right. Uh, that that's exactly it. And we've met you know some of our investors, some of our friends, and the few people we've done talking watches with. Like I've known behind the scenes for years, and there are many others that that I've got you know text relationships with that are that are major actors, singers, things like that that are just a little bit coy about about talking about this stuff because it. It is, it, it can be off-putting to the masses for sure. But if you talk about it in a way that, that's really informed and really kind of enlightened, it, it doesn't come across that way at all. And so the the, the first big celebrity video we did was with, with, was with John Mayer. Uh, and, you know, he's got a million dollars worth of watches sitting on that counter. And there wasn't one comment about him saying or about about him having a million dollars worth of watches on the counter. We've done stuff with with uh, basketball players, with, with Aziz Ansari, um, you know, with, with chefs, with, with kind of anybody you, you could ask for. And there are more coming. And, you know, again... We, we have these relationships because I think we've always had this this design ethos from from production standpoint, you know, our, our website that that was really kind of progressive and really uh, it was unnecessarily refined, <laughs> if that makes any sense. And I think people that, that appreciated that type of thing, such as Johnny Ive, who I've known for years, you know, just just kind of gravitated to it. And then, you know, when when we were doing the magazine. I shot him a note and I would say, hey, you know, this would be a dream to, to, to feature you in the magazine. He's not a guy to do too much press, as, as you guys might know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, in, you know, this is this is the perfect avenue to tell a story that that would not be so digestible in the New York Times or something like that. You know, it's, it's about hitting the right people, not not the most people. And that's always been our business. We don't want to be the biggest anything. We just want to be the, the most influential. Right. I just had uh, Amy Astley from Architectural Digest sure. on here, and she was talking about how a lot of celebrities don't want to show off their amazing homes Correct. because they feel like they might alienate their fans. That's exactly. But right. I do also wonder is like people do know that celebrities are rich, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, they certainly do. <laughs> and you know, it's it's funny. I mean, we we've done stuff with a bunch of celebrities, but like Ellen is a big one. Ellen is a huge watch collector. Ellen DeGeneres, uh, you know, really massive. And she's mm. also known. She does stuff with Architectural Digest. She's you know buys twenty million dollar homes every other week. You know, people know what what Ellen is up to. And if you watch her show, she's wearing a new gold Rolex or paddock almost every show. Uh, and you know, she is one that I think it was was really it was really reluctant to kind of show off the the, the wealth in, in in that way. But again, like. Ellen DeGeneres is a massive star. I don't think any of her fan base would be surprised that she can afford these things, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think in many ways, it would actually make her relatable as somebody that is, is a collector and just passionate about anything. And I think that's that's the kind of continuous strand that we see among our most, success, our most successful videos is that it's not about the money or even what the objects are. It's just like the overt and obvious passion shown by, by the people on, on camera. You've been doing this when there's a lot of doom and gloom when it comes to the media, um, which there's always like... There's always a drumbeat of, of bad news, mm-hmm. Google and Facebook's killing everyone and stuff like this. Why, why do you remain in optimist? I mean, you guys are growing. Yeah. 
and, and and as I've said, we've been profitable since day one. I mean, even when we did the venture raise, we were profitable that year. Um, we have something special, and and I, I say that without an ounce of vanity. I mean, I, it's something that I can look at objectively and say we have an audience that that is totally unique. We have an audience that wants to pay more mm-hmm. for things if there's a great story. We well, that o- that's it, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people had traffic, not audiences, right. um, and and those and that traffic really wasn't u- unique because right. a lot of people had the exact same traffic. Exactly. And we have a real community around us. You know, we'll, we'll do events in L.A. or San Fran or, or here in New York, and we'll say, hey, you know, come to this bar tomorrow uh, at 6 p.m. just to hang out and talk, and we'll get 1,000 responses in 24 hours, 1,000 in, in most major U.S. cities in, in 24 hours. And that's who our community is. And these people are so excited to come there and, sh- you know, just bullshit about watches with other watch guys and gals. It, it's, it's wild. Uh, the other thing I should say is that, you know, we know that, that what we do editorially sells things. And I think a lot of the other luxury publications and certainly the other watch publications don't really believe that. They don't even believe their own nonsense. Mm-hmm. They say, okay, we're going to cover the new Rolex because we have to, but like, you know, it might sell something, it might not. We know that when we write a story about anything, it will move the needle on those sales. Because remember, the watch world is very small. And so when we cover a story, we're the biggest publication there is about watches, it changes everything. You know, so if, if every authorized dealer around the country has one of these in stock, I can almost guarantee you that every dealer is getting a call that day. And we can prove that. And you just pass those leads on but i mean you actually make your own products too we do we do uh you know we for for years i mean for for the majority of the the life of this business we we would just we would cover this and there was no kickback there was no affiliate link there was no anything and then we said wait a minute like we're effectively creating this demand and selling these watches for people for years for Mm -hmm. for peanuts really you know for for small advertising dollars let's go ahead and sell our own stuff uh, and so with the straps, as I said, we do 25,000 straps a year now, uh, which is a, a great business, but also the, with the watches, you know, let's, let's prove to these brands that our audience is willing to buy based on our results. So a, a great example of that is we did a, a Vacheron Constantin wristwatch, which, which is one of the oldest and most expensive watch brands in the world. We, we made 36 pieces at $45,000. We sold them out in 20 minutes. We had 400 people on the waiting list, uh, for, for this $45,000 watch. And I think, and again, the, the only promotion of that watch was one blog post on our site. So mm-hmm. we're creating the demand, we're fulfilling demand. And by the way, you know, th- that watch then generates interest in, in that brand as a whole. It's, I mean, I was on Bloomberg twice for that thing. The New York Times covered it extensively. The fact that a, a 250-year-old brand plus would work with, with, would work with somebody like us was, was a big story. And then the fact that the, the success rate was just alarming. I mean, it was, it was surprising even to us um, at, at how, how, how far the demand would go with, with products like that. The DJ Podcast will be right back after this break. Hi, I'm Shreen Patek, and if you enjoy the Digiday podcast, be sure to check out Making Marketing. Join me every Thursday as I sit down with a leader from the industry to discuss what it takes to make great marketing today. Each episode features candid conversation and insight into some of the brightest minds in marketing, including P&G's Mark Pritchard, HP's Antonio Lucio, and GE's Linda Boff. You can find Making Marketing on Digiday.com. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Anchor.fm. I hope you'll listen. How has that changed managing the business? Because content and commerce have always been talked about as as um, as likely like living together, but it's it's usually hard in practice. I I don't know of another brand that's done it really well. At least coming from the editorial side first, you know, I mean, Net-A-Porter and Mr. Porter produce beautiful editorial around mm-hmm. the stuff that they sell, but everybody knows that like it's commerce first. Uh, we are still editorial first, uh, and you know, our we have more editors than anybody else on staff. Um, we they 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 have higher salaries than than most people 
people on the other side of the shop. Uh, and that will always kind of be that way. I, I you know, uh, Monocle would be another example that, that does, does okay with, with commerce after, after content. It's, it's difficult at times. But again, I think we're in such a unique position because we have such a, a strong hold on, on the watch world. And we have indisputably the, the most recognized and most uh, knowledgeable staff on, 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 on staff. So when Jack, who's kind of the, the, the godfather of, of our editorial team, he's been around forever, says something about a watch, like th- there is just no debate that this is accurate. There's no debate that this is true. And if we happen to sell it, great. If we happen not to, that's okay. Uh, and so I think when you have somebody, when you have a publication that is, is so kind of ahead um, of, of everybody else in terms of credibility, that that's, that's the way that it works. Okay. Ben, thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. That's all for today's episode. Thank you for listening. This show is produced by Aditi Sangal. If you liked our show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and or Anchor.fm. We'll be back next week with a new episode.